Father, your word is living and active, and so uh, we we repeat the words of Ezekiel, and we pray that as your word goes forth, that the spirit would enter into us, Lord, and that we quicken your word and open our hearts and open our eyes this morning. In your glorious name, amen. Amen. Uh, This morning we're going to jump around a little bit. We will be centred in uh, Daniel chapter 1, but just to finish off the year, a bit of a dad joke to finish the year off. uh, There there was a uh, gentleman that's driving along the road. He's doing about 45 kilometres an hour, and to his amazement, he looks to his right and sees a chicken running next to him. (laughs) He looks back down at the odometer and it says 45 kilometres an hour. He can't believe what's going on. So he says... This can't be right. So he speeds up. Now he's doing 70 kilometres an hour. And he looks to his right and here's this chicken running right alongside him next to the car. And before he knows it, and before he can really make any sense of what's happened, the chicken has run in front of him, taking a sharp left turn down the next street. So he says, I'm going to follow this chicken. So he follows the chicken all the way down to the end of the road and onto a farm where there's a farmer standing on the farm. He gets out of his car and he says, I'm pretty sure I just saw a chicken. He says, and when it ran off into the distance, he said, it looked like it had three legs. The farmer says, oh, yeah, yeah. He says, that's one of my chickens. He says, we breed chickens here with three legs. He goes, right. He goes, why? He says, well, he says, I was kind of partial to the drumstick. (laughs) He says, and mum was kind of partial to the drumstick. And now... Our son is kind of partial to a drumstick. So he said, we started breeding chickens with three legs. The guy goes, oh, right, okay. Well, he says, what do they taste like? He says, can't tell you, I haven't caught one yet. (laughs) (laughs) For all the fathers in the room, you're welcome. Uh, This morning, uh, I want to start a a series, uh, just a very short series, but... Uh, I noticed uh, when I worked in the forestry in Tasmania, uh, we used to plant bare-rooted trees. And uh, the QA, or the quality assurance guys, would always check the root of the tree because as goes the root, so goes the tree. You know, often when you look at a tree, all you can see is what's above ground. Uh, we, and in Tasmania, we have forests with enormous trees. Uh, you can't even get your arms around some of them. But supporting every one of those trees is an enormously strong root system. If there's no strong root system, that tree's not going to stand for very long. And so uh, often what we don't see, the best part of the tree is below the ground. And so the quality assurance guys would check the root for one particular sign, and that was for a J in the root. Uh, They used to call it a J-rooted tree. And what would happen is uh, if you planted a tree with a J-root, so would grow the tree sideways. And the minute it got to a certain size and there was a decent breeze, it would blow all of them over. Uh, In fact, complete coops have been blown over in the wind in Tasmania. None of the ones I planted, you'd be pleased to know. Uh, Well, not that I know of. And and today, it's much the same in our spiritual life. A.W. Tozer speaks about a wonderful concept called the root of the righteous, where he says, you know, when we look uh, at biblical characters, maybe, maybe when we look at some of the heroes through church history, all we see is what's above the ground. Often what we see is what's above the surface. We might read biographies like uh, of John G. Lake or of Maria Woodworth Edda. Uh, for those that are wondering, Maria Woodworth Edda, if you read her biography, you will crawl under the bed. I mean, here's a lady that gave up a lot and sacrificed 
a lot for Christ. But there's others. We know some even more recently, the, the Wesleys, the, the Wigglesworth. And we, we read about everything that they did, but we forget that behind the curtain was an inner life, the strong root of righteousness. It turns out that that root is our responsibility to cultivate. God does the rest. I want to share a a scripture that will lead us into where I want to go today. Uh, Paul is writing to his protege called Timothy. And Timothy's uh, pastoring a very problematic church called Ephesus. More about that as we work our way into the weeks. But basically at Ephesus, he'd arrived at a situation where uh, it had very aggressive leadership. Uh, He was a young guy. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says, look, you know, don't let them look down on you because of your youth. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. And with all the troubles at Ephesus, I found something amazing in the book of Timothy. All Paul writes about is, Timothy, just focus on the inner life. Just focus on your walk with God. Focus on upholding the truth and everything else will take care of itself. And that's, that's the message. Here's what chapter 4 says. Um, uh, it's titled, A Good Servant of Christ. And verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, If you put these things, speaking about the things before, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, being trained. Now, that word trained there in the Greek means nourished. You will be fully nourished in the words of the faith. And so uh, our heart here as a leadership uh, is that we would not have anybody malnourished in their faith. Uh, Words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train, different word now, rather train yourself for godliness or at cultivate that root of righteousness. That's what, that's what godliness means. It means God-likeness. And here's what, here's what Paul is writing to Timothy. Cultivate that inner root and everything else will take care of itself. You will stand, you will remain, and you will stay strong if you cultivate the inner root. And so the question that we're going to answer over the coming weeks is, what can we do to tend that inner root? How can we cultivate that inner root? Great question. But that word train there in the Greek is gymnazo. It's where we get our word for gymnasium. And uh, authentically in the Greek, it means to train or to wrestle naked or bare. You're not allowed to do that in church. (laughs) You definitely have to be dressed. But what it's speaking about, interestingly enough, as we move into the new year, what that word is speaking about is removing the encumbrances so that you're free to train. For an example, if you were to go to the gym, you don't see people fully dressed in a Giorgio Armani suit working out at the gym. They're going to go and get changed and put on some shorts, hopefully, and put on a top, something that makes it easier and freer for them to train. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, remove yourself of the encumbrances. Just a couple of questions as we move into today's passage. Uh, Are there anything that you need to take off before we get into 2024? And I'm talking about spiritual. Please leave your clothes on. I know it's hot, but is there anything that you need to remove as we move into 2024? Maybe there's some stuff we need to put on. As we think about cultivating uh, the inner life and cultivating the root, many of us might think, well, you know what? That just means this year I'll resolve to read more of the Word and pray. And they're great results, by the way. But there's more to it than that. This morning, uh, if you've made your way to Daniel chapter 1, this morning I want to talk about 
resolve. Uh, this time of the year, many people are making New Year's resolutions, and I want to encourage you to make New Year's resolutions. I'm not a New Year's resolutions kind of guy. I think you can do the same thing on January 1 that you can do on June the 16th. So you can do whatever you want to do. But it's a great time of year to, to make some goals for the coming year, to, to have a look at how we've gone in the year past. And so I don't want to tip any water on anybody's fire. Uh, I think we should resolve, uh, have spiritual uh, resolutions as well as physical as we move into the new year. But I want to encourage you to move past resolutions because often resolutions come with either time frames or back doors and today I want to introduce you to a man that lived with resolve and what that means and how we can do that as we work our way through uh, Anybody notice the Sydney to Hobart? I love watching the Sydney to Hobart. Sydney to Hobart was run again uh, just recently. Uh, they had a little bit of trouble again. It turns out the water can be a little bit rough as you head down towards Tasmania. That's because we're trying to keep the mainlanders out. But uh, besides all of that, uh, I love the Sydney to Hobart. But one year, uh, 1998, was a terrible Sydney to Hobart, for those that can remember. In 1998, 115 boats would start, 44 would reach the finish line. Six men would lose their lives. Turns out, believe it or not, the Bureau of Meteorology got it wrong. Go figure, right? Uh, there was two storms that were brewing that they thought would dissipate, but what actually happened was they combined and made one superstorm. Now, a lot of boats should have turned around that year. To be honest, a lot of boats should have turned around. And a lot of boats retired. But the first boat that was in the lead made it to the storm. And he radios back and says... It's bad. It's ten times worse than the Bureau's predicted. We're here. It's bad. And on that word, many pulled out. But 44 made it to the finish line. And the 44 that made it to the finish line decided, made a decision, made up their mind they were going to keep going. Today, as we move our way into 2024, I want to tell you the most powerful thing and transformational moment in your life may be the moment when you make up your mind and you develop a singleness of heart that says, I am going to pursue Christ to the detriment of everything else. Uh, of course, the 1998 <coughs> Sydney to Hobart, uh, many of the boats uh, took refuge in a, in a bay in New South Wales, southern New South Wales. Uh, six lost their life. Twelve yachts were abandoned at sea. Thirty uh, civil and military aircraft were, in, were involved in the military, uh, in the rescue operations. It was, a, it was a bad year for the Sydney to Hobart, but maybe the lesson we can all learn is when we make up our mind to keep going to the finish line. And I want to encourage everybody today to keep pressing on. More about that in a moment. As we come to the book of Daniel, let's, let's read some of the opening verses of the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel uh, is one of the first guys to be taken into exile. Uh, he will go to exile in Babylon. He's a Jewish guy. He's one of the very elite guys. Please remember, as we're reading this, please remember we are talking of a guy maybe, maybe 16 years of age. Maybe 16 years of age, Babylon sacks Jerusalem. The walls are down. The temple's lost. Many people have perished. Daniel's taken away from his home. He's taken away from the temple. He's taken away from his family. No hope that he'll possibly ever see them again. And maybe he's 16 years of age. It says here in the, 
verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Those words are powerful, the Lord gave. He, if you read the books of Jeremiah, uh, you will read that he was warned. Israel were warned for a long period of time. Uh, Jeremiah begins prophesying to the then king and he's 12 years of age. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God and he brought them to the land of Shinar. Uh, for those who know anything about the Tower of Babel, you will have heard of Shinar. To the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, for those who know what a eunuch was in the ancient times, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility. And that is Daniel. Daniel was considered to be a one of the elite. He was a youth without blemish, of good appearance, it says, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And here's what they were charged to do. Go and grab these guys and teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And this was a conquering kind of culture within Babylon. They would conquer another land, they would take the best people out, and then they would indoctrinate them into the culture of Babylon. They would teach them the language, they would teach them the ways, they would teach them the customs. In other words, what they are saying to these guys, we know about Daniel, we know about his three mates, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we know about those guys, but what they are saying is, we are going to conform you into our culture. Isn't it interesting how things never really change? It may be expressed differently. It may look differently today, but we live in a culture today that wants to conform and to press and to shape. We, we face the same challenges that Daniel did when he arrived in Babylon. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. This is important because Daniel is offered all of the luxuries of Babylon. You're in the king's palace, uh, you're being trained to be in the king. While you're here, you can eat the food from the king's table, you can eat all the best food, enjoy all the greatest comforts. You can hear the words, you, you can hear some people saying to Daniel, now listen, you're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. While you're here, you may as well just eat the food. You may as well just go along with it. You may, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can change. You may as well just eat the food and enjoy yourself. Surely you deserve to enjoy yourself and enjoy the pleasures of this place. But that's not what Daniel decides of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. If they were not competent, the eunuch, the chief eunuch, and Daniel would have lost their heads. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of eunuchs, if your boss is a eunuch, do the math. He gave them names. This is another really important part. He gave them names. Uh, Belshazzar is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And here's what the Babylonians were doing. We, their names represent, or part of the name represents, uh, the gods that Babylon worshipped. 
And so this isn't just changing your name from John to Tim. That's not what's happening here. We don't understand the importance. Uh, in the ancient times, our identity was linked to your name very heavily. That's why Jesus' name was selected. It's all about identity. And here's what Babylon is saying to Daniel and to his three friends. You're coming here. We're going to conform you into our culture and into our ways. We're going to offer you all the comforts and decadent luxuries of our land. And we're going to change your identity. And you could transpose all of those into today's culture. You can follow God if you want, but we don't want to hear about it. Truth has become something that's very relative now. It's, truth is whatever's true for you, whatever's moral for you. How did that work out in World War II? But it's interesting to note that the challenges that Daniel was facing are many of the same challenges today because I love the next words. That's not the end of Daniel's story. And I love how the Bible, I love how God continues the next verse. Notice the Babylonians have just changed Daniel's name. But what does God say? But Daniel, you're still Daniel to me. They can call you whatever they want. They can, uh, they can try to shape you and mould you and conform you, but you're still Daniel. But there are a powerful, powerful statement in the words, but Daniel. And my prayer for everybody in this room is that 2024 will be a but year for you. Despite what the culture says, despite what everybody else is saying, despite what everybody else is doing, that this would be a year that it would be but Terry, but Mark, but Sonia, but Cheryl. that there would be an interruption. But Daniel did something enormously powerful. He resolved. The greatest tragedy I have found amongst Christians as well as non-Christians is the inability to make a decision. Is the inability to remove all of the peripheral and say, I am going to follow God. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what they're teaching in the classrooms. Just recently, I heard one of the leading astrophysicists on the planet, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is an atheist, and he says, you can believe in one God or ten gods. He says, I don't care, but don't bring your God into the classroom and teach God in the classroom. What, but you'll allow evolution to be taught in the classroom? takes more faith to believe in evolution. But they're trying to tell us what we can say. They're trying to tell us what we can do. This is the year, maybe this is the year, but the rock Christian church. But Daniel resolved, Daniel purposed, Daniel made up his mind, and every one of those translations, if you find them in the Hebrew, are all past tense. I love that. Here's what Daniel's saying before he's even taken to Babylon. Before they lay one hand on Daniel, this is what the Bible is telling us. He had resolved that I am going to follow God. I am not going to defile myself when I get to Babylon. I don't care what Babylon does. I don't care what food is on the table. I don't care how they try to conform me and indoctrinate me. I have decided and I have already made up my mind. I am going to honour God. That's what Daniel decided. 
I pray that this would be the year that you set the sails. Uh, no boat. Imagine a Sydney to Hobart, 115 yachts lined up at the starting line. The starter's gun goes off and the rest of them are like, you know what, I don't know if I want to go out today. No yacht was made to do laps around the bay. No yacht was made to do laps around the harbour. It may be a little bit breezy when you get out into open water, but every Christian in this room was designed by God to set your sails and to fulfil his purposes. I love the testimony of David. How many people know that King David had his faults? How many people know that he made some mistakes? But at the end of his life, it says that he achieved the purposes of God for his life. I want that to be put on every headstone in this room. When it comes to tending the inner person, there is nothing more powerful than making up your mind, I'm going to honour God, I'm going to stand for God, I'm going to live for him and I don't care what everybody else says and does. That's the resolve that Daniel has. Powerful. Powerful. Let's keep reading. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. That word defile means to pollute. Uh, I've used this analogy before, but the word defilement, often in our lives we try to, we try to clean things up at the latter stages. Uh, I remember watching a documentary, uh, a guy uh, called River Monsters. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that. Uh, River Monsters is not the story of when my boys went swimming. Uh, River Monsters is the story of some very large fish this guy finds in some ordinary places, uh, fish that are eating people. One of them was a gooch catfish in India. And he starts... Uh, looking for this catfish right up in the Himalayas and he can't find any sign of them. So he goes down to the bottom reaches of the Ganges. <laughs> if there's any place there's going to be a dirty catfish, it'll be down the bottom. And the, he starts to reel off the statistics of how polluted the water is. And, you know, he then says the efforts they're trying to do to clean the river up, but the problem is they're wasting their time. Because if you go upstream, the pollutants are streaming in off the farms and off the leather factories... Unless you go upstream and stop the pollution that's running in, you're never going to clean up the river downstream. And often we look at our lives on the outside, often we look at instances on the outside and we go, you know what, I just want to fix this or stop this. And, and, but the problem is internal. That's why we want to focus on the heart. We, Daniel says, I will not be defiled. I will not let any pollution come into my life. Maybe this is the year you assess what it is, uh, the time you spend on social media. Maybe this is the... Uh, can I tell you, I, I love you enough to tell you that most of your friends on Facebook probably aren't your real friends. You're welcome this morning. He had resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. I love this. Verse 8 starts with, but Daniel. Uh, verse 9 starts with, now God. God is waiting for you. God is waiting for us to make up our mind. God is waiting for us, but Daniel resolves, now God. And if you want to read the rest of the book of Daniel, let me tell you what that meant for Daniel. Daniel is in one of the most evil, paganistic, atheistic cultures that you could imagine. 
talk about pride, King Nebuchadnezzar will end up eating grass for seven years. The only thing that changes from eating... Anybody feel like eating grass? I'm trying to help you today. Before you start eating grass, that now God for Daniel meant this. He would be interpreting dreams. He would be put into a lion's den. We know all the stories, right? His three friends would say, we're not going to worship you, Nebuchadnezzar, and they would be put into the fiery furnace, heated seven times more. A bit like Christmas Day here in Queensland, uh, when the furnace was heated seven times. Queensland seems to edge a little bit closer to the sun in summertime, but what we know is that now God for Daniel, he actually transformed the landscape of Babylon. Just by deciding, I'm going to stand, I'm going to honour God, he transformed the landscape. He would be the guy that would interpret the writing on the wall for Belshazzar. And something phenomenal happened that night. You see, Babylon was considered to be the most impenetrable city that you, nobody could ever get into the city. But the Persians, they found a way. They, there was two rivers that ran into Babylon. They dried up one of the rivers and in one night, they slipped under the wall and overthrew the whole place. That's the story of Belshazzar. And from then on, we have Persian kings. And Daniel will last for all of them. He will never go back. He will never go back to Jerusalem with the, with the exiles that return. But he transforms the landscape of Babylon. He transforms... Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar is the only pagan king recorded in Scripture that gives his heart to Christ or to God, to, turns and repents. You've got to eat grass or kale for seven years to do it sometimes, but... What are you, six years now, Bez? <laughs> one, one to go. <laughs> but Daniel resolved and now God, and I want to give you an encouraging word today. If you will make up your mind, look what God will do in your life. Look what God will do through your life. If you make up your mind, I'm going to live for him. Jesus tells us a parable. This is why these things are important. Jesus tells us a parable about a farmer that went out to sow seed. And some of that seed, he says, fell along the path. Some fell in the rocky ground. Some fell amongst the thorns and the thistles. And, and some fell on the good soil. And the, the, the soil types are speaking about the heart condition that we find amongst mankind. The first one was the path. And the seed is taken away very quickly. Jesus gives us the interpretation of the parable. The second one is that the seed is thrown along the rocky ground. And if you read Christ's interpretation of the parable, he says that seed is the word that is is received very joyfully and everybody's excited and it grows and it springs up and everything looks really good but when trials and persecutions come it blows away why because he had no root in himself no substance on the end of man James writes about a double-minded man double-minded or two-souled. means to be wavering between two opinions. I can never make up my mind. It's not just a condition that rests amongst the ladies, it rests amongst the men. You'll be pleased to know as well. We can't seem to make up our mind. But here's what James says, a man who is double-minded and can never make up his mind, he, never, he should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord because he is what? Unstable in all of his ways. 
Maybe your New Year's resolution, maybe you're going to resolve this year, I want to draw closer to God. Great resolution. I pray uh, for God's help and the help of the Holy Spirit as you do that. But here's what James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and wash, cleanse your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, remove the indecisiveness from your life. I want to finish with some words from the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a pretty busy guy. He planted a number of churches through Asia Minor. He was locked up in a Roman jail. And that doesn't mean the kind of holiday camp it is today. If you were locked up in a Roman prison, nobody fed you. You had to rely on people to bring you food and goods and so forth. And he, was, he spent a lot of time and he had a lot on his plate. But I love these words to the Philippians. In the book of Philippians, I'm going to go back a few verses, chapter 3, and just read what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We will cling to what we value. What Paul is saying to the Philippians is, if you read the rest of the chapter beforehand. He says, you know what? When it comes to being a Pharisee, he was, he was perfect. And when it comes to the law, he, was a, he knew everything. He, this guy was, he was brought up at the feet of the best rabbi, Gamaliel. He had the best resume in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul, he had the best resume you could possibly, the best rabbi, all of that sort of stuff. He says, you know what? That's all rubbish. I count that all as loss. Why? Because it's far more worthy for me to give all that up to throw all of that off because Jesus is far more worthy to me. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Yes, that word should be done. In order that I may gain Christ. And maybe this year, just like Paul, to gain Christ means you've got to throw some stuff off. Maybe there's some stuff on your plate you've got to take off. The kale's got to go. The Brussels sprouts have got to go. You've got to get rid of some stuff off your plate so that you can gain Christ. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him. How many people would recite these words? That I may know him and the power that raised him from the dead. How many people are saying, yes, amen, that's what I want for 2024? Well, it could just be the case that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Oh, we'll move past that quickly, will we? And share in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or am already perfect, but I press on. Sometimes, sometimes we just need to press on. We just need to keep doing what we know is the right thing to do. When the storm is blowing, imagine those boats. Every year they go down from, from Sydney to Hobart. Somewhere along the line they hit bad weather. And what do they do when they hit bad weather? They just press on. They just keep going. Paul says... 
But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Other translations speak of apprehending Christ because we have been apprehended by Christ. It's to lay hold of. He's saying, I want to lay hold of Christ because he has laid hold of me. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, some translations will say, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Put those words on your fridge this year. What wonderful words to live by. Uh, what does Paul mean by Forgetting what's behind, I press on. We need that focus in our own spiritual life. Recently, I watched a, I watched a repeat of the Tour de France. Uh, the most watched sporting event on the planet is the Tour de France. And there's one stage where one guy had broken away from the pack. These guys don't do this. They don't go out on their own. But this guy had broken away from the pack and he was in the lead by a long way for a long time. And they're all watching him on helicopter and, and you can follow him up and you can see the pack behind him beginning to close in. Everything's going fine until we notice something. The first time we notice there's a problem is when the cyclist did this. The minute he looked behind to where the pack was, he told everybody... I'm worried about that. And between, for the next 18, uh, 1.8 kilometres, 1,800 metres, for the next 1.8 kilometres, all he did was keep checking behind, and do you know the pack pipped him on the line by five metres? What Paul is saying is forgetting those guys behind, forgetting everything behind, forgetting all those other things, I strain forward to lay hold of Christ. You are as close to God today as you want to be. Let's finish these words. But one thing, this one thing I do, let this be the year that you do one thing, that you remove all of the peripheral and you make a decision, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to follow hard after. You watch what God does in your life. You read the testimony of all the heroes of faith down through church history and you will find one commonality. They just determined, I'm going to live for God right here, right now. I'm going to honour God, whatever that looks like. And you look what God does in your life and through your life. When you, maybe this is the year you say, I'm just going to live for... Have a look what he will do in your workplace. Have a look what he will do at your school. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This morning, my prayer as we close out 2023... This time next year, my prayer for everybody in this room is that 2024 will have been the year that you laid hold of Christ. When you realise that I made a decision that I'm going to follow hard after Christ. The number one important thing that we all have to do is make a decision, I'm going to follow Christ. 
Resolutions have back doors. Resolve is a lifestyle that never looks back. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each one of us. We need the help of the Holy Spirit for every step that we take. Jesus, I thank you that you have apprehended us and that you have laid hold of each one of us. We desire to, that 2024 will be the year that we can say the words, but Daniel. And that we see the now God after that. Father, I thank you that you want us. I thank you that you love us. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I pray that each one of us will live 2024 with the same resolve as the prophet Daniel. In Jesus' name we pray.